If the events of 2020 have proven anything, it's that necessity is the mother of invention. Throughout the pandemic, we've seen stay-at-home orders, social distancing, and continuous shifts in consumer behavior. As doors closed and the world moved online, adaptation has been the key to survival. But as we'll discover today, real retail resilience is about more than just having an e-commerce store. Customers who shop both online and in stores, they are worth more. They're more loyal and they spend more. And when you realize that means that maybe you want to promote your website in your store, whereas otherwise you may have felt that was actually cannibalizing your own sales. This is Retail Reawakened, the show that explores how retail and hospitality businesses can rise again in the aftermath of the pandemic. And I'm your host, Colin Neal, Head of Commercial at Adian UK. Adian is a global payments provider for retailers like Hunter, Superdry and Fortnum and & Mason, and food and beverage businesses like Leon, Joe on the Juice and Hackerson. Before working at Adian, I spent 30 years in the retail industry, including working as Retail Operations Director at Burberry. In our second episode, Wake Up Call, we'll hear from luxury brands and high street names about the overnight pivot to e-commerce and how they weathered the hostile business environment caused by the pandemic. Plus, we'll discover how transactional data can tell you so much more about your customer base than just payment volume. A website can be a window to a store seen by millions around the world. But when your store is steeped in heritage, and is known for providing a luxury retail experience, how do you continue to reach new and existing customers when your doors are unexpectedly closed for months? Here to tell us more about Fortnum & Mason's journey online is Chief Transformation Officer, John Wegg. Expectations in luxury have always about been about experience. Customers kind of need a reason to make the effort to come into store. And I think luxury has been at the forefront of providing great experience in store. Very lucky at the moment that I work for Fortnum & Mason, where we have a magical store in Piccadilly that for several hundred years has been a really magical place for people to visit. And I think one of the big things that's been evolving over a number of years, but really was expedited through the pandemic last year, is customers coming to, to brands across multiple channels now you can't have a separate strategy for store than you have for online than you have for other methods for the customer to to get to the brand particularly in the luxury sector it's much more about making that a, a real experience online same as going to the store it's got to be a consistent experience it's got to be worth the effort of the customer going there however they come to the brand including digital when the UK government ordered a national lockdown in March 2020, Fortnum and Mason had to close their flagship store in Piccadilly. The store is a London landmark in its own right. But how easily would brand loyal customers switch to an online experience? Here's Tony Longhurst, former director of IT at Fortnum and Mason. The volumes changed quite quickly, I think. So yeah, as soon as people were weren't able to get their favourite products by walking through the door, they transition quite quickly. So yes, the, the numbers went up significantly in terms of in terms of the customer base. It brought with it a large number of new Fortnum's customers. So that was quite a rapid change, probably over a number of maybe two, maybe three months, it transitioned to purely online as, as everything started to slow down and then close down. And I think one of the benefits of a brand as, as kind of much loved as Fortnum's is that 
particularly in times where you can't go out and do your favourite things and cover those opportunities to enjoy things that you've never tried before and, you know, potentially change your price point. And particularly where where the opportunity of gifting, as we, we started to be a bit more kind to each other and recognise that we're all going through the same thing and enjoying, you know, fine foods or, or whatever it may be. So the gifting element, I think, was another key point of enabling people to get products to, to places and to people that maybe they hadn't gone to before. And that trend of changing price point wasn't unique to Fordham and Mason. In the Adian Retail Report, researchers found that multi-channel shoppers are actually higher value customers, spending on average 40% more online than in-store. Luxury retail is known for its fine products and premium shopping locations, but the icing on the cake comes down to its people. I want to be treated as an individual, so you can always find the companies out there that are supplying the real quality service. People all want something a bit different. A little bit of personal service, I think, is important. Last year, delivering on that service seemed tricky. After all, how can you go the extra mile when your associates can't see their own families, let alone your customers? Good sales associates have always had the best knowledge of their customers. And people always remember going into a store and having a magical experience with a sales associate. And I think that's become more true than ever during the pandemic. And I think some of the brands that did best were the ones that were able to still enable their sales associates to engage with their customers. Luxury brands have always been good at providing wonderful experiences in store, but it's now increasingly the need for them to provide similar experiences online. And in fact, one example I can give you that, that we've just done very recently at Fordham & Mason, we've had a, a wonderful in-store experience where you can blend your own tea. You can be assisted by the sales associate to create your own personal brand of tea. And we actually now provide that experience online as well. You can give the tea your own name uh, and receive through the post. It's not quite the same as being in-store, but it's an example of how you can start to have some very nice experiences online that perhaps weren't possible in the past. Excellent service is imperative if you want to retain your clientele. In fact, 71% of customers say they won't return to a retailer at all if they've had a bad experience online or in-store. As well as utilising in-store staff to create better online experiences, Fortnum & Mason also took advantage of other e-commerce avenues to maximise its reach something which John Wegg recognises is a vital survival factor. I think certainly social commerce was hugely successful. People that engaged through a direct selling channel saw those channels massively expand. Fortnum & Mason had seen a huge shift from physical to digital and, and so many companies, so many retail brands had the same experience. People made the whole experience frictionless and how they enabled customers to transact. So those companies that were able to make that whole payment process frictionless and make the customer journey as easy as possible were the ones that were, were most successful. And that's changed forever now. And customers demand a unified experience and brands are, are increasingly providing that. And then the whole physical digital thing where people talk before about blurring the lines between digital and physical and that's now really been accelerated to more fusing between the two payment is absolutely a critical part of that and it really has to be any device anywhere anytime 
whether you're transacting physically in store or digitally online. We were already in that journey. I think it, it just accelerated a little bit last year, but we were already headed down to the, the customer wanting a unified experience. I don't think anything new has happened. It's just ex- accelerated. So the companies that weren't on that transformation journey are now the ones that are finding things most difficult. The ones that were already on the journey, providing a unified experience and na- enabling their supply chain to operate in both the store and selling to people at home uh, channels are the ones that are ahead. Customers now expect a frictionless unified experience. And for Tony Longhurst, that also means keeping up to date with and supporting more convenient payment options for both domestic and foreign customers. Certainly over more recent years with the kind of rise and rise of Apple Pay and you know Android Pay and particularly for for Far Eastern markets, you know, the kind of WeChat pay and, and those digital wallet elements where that is prevalent. That's the number one. Cash is no longer king in that respect. And, you know, we move from cards uh, and, you know, contactless very quickly onto digital wallets. And there's such variation in there that, you know, for some retailers, it's difficult for them to keep up with the volume of change that's going on in that area. But for certainly for the Far East market and then Again, a little bit of experience through through opening Fortnum's in Hong Kong. The Chinese customers, they expect to be paying using digital wallet first. It is the prevalent payment method of choice. Again, that variation exists regardless of where you are, but the, where the customer finds you, they expect it. Fortnum & Mason boosts its resilience by enhancing its online presence, creating unified experiences during the pandemic, which kept customers engaged. But what if e-commerce was never part of a brand's business model? And what if it didn't even have plans to start a website? In that case, it had two options. Do nothing and risk the survival of the business, or pivot. So from high-end London luxury retail, we now turn to high street retail. Saad Usman, Director of Finance and Operations at Maniso UK, tells us how the lifestyle product retailer had to radically rethink its channels in 2020. We stock things from household to gym. So we we sort of have our fingers in a lot of different pies. We came to the UK back in November 2019 is when we opened our first store in in Ealing. We had lots of grand plans in 2020, but we've since then we've opened a couple of stores, one in Cambridge and Cardiff, and we've also launched a website. We had really grand plans of 30, 40 stores in, in the next five years. Website was not even being considered as a result of the pandemic was. We thought, let's look at online. Let's see what we can do. Everyone's sitting at home, right? So maybe we have to go to them. Pandemics aside, in 2020, a retailer not having a website or e-commerce store is pretty unusual, though not unheard of. So why didn't Maniso originally opt for an online store? And how did they eventually come to create their site and effectively pull a 180 on their business model? To begin with, the idea was stores because our model suggested that stores is the way forward. Whilst we have really good product, we thought, can we afford the additional post and packaging, etc.? Can we build that into our margins and still be affordable? So in March, we thought, right, what can we do immediately? Because first we did look at a website, but we thought, right, you know what? We have to do it properly. We're not going to just make a website. We need to see if it's actually any interest out there, can our margins, a lot of our products, whilst there'll be IP like uh, Marvel, et cetera, and there'll be Miniso own branded, they're not really 
expensive. So, you know, we're already at the lower end of our price point for customers. And when we started selling 20, 30, 40 yoga mats a day to all the people in lockdown, we said, right, you know what, there, there might actually be something here. We could potentially uh, put in a lot more products. To get all those products pictured and on the website and eventually get proof of concept, really, that was the real challenge. And it took us a couple of months to really figure it out. And then we understood that, yeah, there is a market for this. And so then all this time I've been speaking to Adyen about how to do payments and what can we do. And we started off by just saying, right, we're going to add a little link and we're going to post it on Instagram and Facebook and it'll be a payment link. And it sort of escalated. And we said, right, now we need to pivot from that to actually having payment processing on a website we're going to design. And so back in June and two and a half months of trading on Amazon and other platforms, we decided, right, let's make our own website. It took a couple of months to really tweak it and uh, make it what we want it to be. And thus, minisoshop.co.uk was born. What we want is our online store to be a store in its own right. It is just another new store for us. And it will the website and the stores will coexist. They will survive and they will have to thrive together. Adapting Miniso's commerce structure so dramatically kept it in business, and research suggests that adopting a multi-channel approach will reap benefits in the future too, with 73% of shoppers believing that retailers should continue to sell across multiple channels once the pandemic is over. But Miniso doesn't just plan on selling through separate channels, it wants to blend them together. Click and Collect is on the agenda. We do want to be able to integrate our website more with what we do. On our website, you'll be able to see addresses for all our stores and timings, etc. All our social media is geared towards telling people about the store, but also telling people about the website. It is all about Miniso UK. It's not about either just one store or or that. There are a lot of things we can improve. We know we have to do next day delivery. It's the world in which we live in is currently a, I want it now. And so now might not be possible, but tomorrow must happen. We are nowhere near the finished article. We have a lot to catch up on, uh, a lot to do, but uh, we're just getting started. Product retailers aren't the only businesses to benefit from allowing digital technology to complement their physical stores. Global coffee chain Joan the Juice took advantage of a unified commerce approach to improve its customer experience. This incidentally stood the brand in good stead when the pandemic hit. Senior Vice President of Strategy and Business Development at Joan the Juice, Thomas Evald, tells us why they decided to develop the Joe app and how it helped them stay open when everything else closed. Joan Juice has always been about our employees. And what we saw when we had good employees, we got really regular customers. We wanted to create an app where we could take this loyalty and we could. We wanted to bring that into technology. So that was the first thing. The second thing was that we are doing every product made to order. So it's fresh made product, which takes time. So that's why the second thing is the convenience part. It's basically, you know, we wanted to create a pre-order for the app. We have a lot of loyal customers, so we were converting the customers in January and February. Um, and then we, unfortunately, COVID hit. This uh, contactless free pre-order, you could not go into the stores, all of that. And that just escalated the downloads on the app and really pushed the app forward in, in a way we've never imagined. So we got around, I think we have 700,000 uh, downloads now. And I think the pre-order and the contactless was 
was the main driver in the beginning for the app. And then when you get more comfortable into the app, which is what we see now, you can buy our loyalty card. So we really believe we are adding a lot of value to our customers. And so I think different things are driving it, but convenience and then the personalization and, and of course, the seamless flow. And it's very easy to use. Convenience, seamless flow and ease of use were the key drivers in the Joe app's adoption. In fact, as Thomas explains, it's all about the personalized customer journey. If you just downloaded the app, you, you will have what we call the, the static journey. So basically from you downloading the app, the communication that comes from one visit to two visits to three visits to four to five visits, and then all the way up to our biggest tiers, we have customized that journey so it's relevant for you. Let's say you've been there one time, we will tell to you, oh, remember to do your first purchase so you get your gift, or you, know, you can use your loyalty cards here, or you should pre-order here, the menu is here. And when you get more advanced, it's like, have you tried this green juice? Have you tried this challenge about joint juice and so on? So we're really trying to make it human, make it personal, the whole journey in the app. In the beginning, of course, you're, you're quite new to the app. So you, you normally downloaded it either for the pre-order or for some campaign. We just did a survey. You know, A lot of people are saying, if you didn't have the app, I would come less to joint juice. So we see the frequency is increasing because it's so easy to use. You never have to wait. You can see where the stores are. You can bring the app. Let's say you live in London, you live in Denmark, you can use the app in Denmark and so on. So we really made it available for our customer to use in the same way now in the, in the US, we have added the delivery to the app through Uber Eats. So this means you can sit at home, order your juice through the app and get it delivered to your doorstep. So we basically want to be available for the customers at any time. And I think that's in the long run, what's running the, the value of the app. The app's unified commerce approach not only lets you place your order before visiting a store, but it makes payment effortless too, and in more ways than one. With the payment, having that in the app basically means that if you are, at least for me, I'm a loyal customer, I order the same thing over and over again. So I go into the app, I press reorder on my app, I select the same order, and the transaction goes through. It's basically frictionless ordering that you can have. So that's, that's why I believe, you know, having the payment card integrated in the app is probably the most important thing, because if you need to do, press a code, do this, do that, it loses the frictionless ordering flow. And that's what we hear from people is that it's so easy to use. The, the different way of paying with the app is we have an in-store payment, which is a QR code. So basically you come up like, a, like we did in the old days, you order by the register, they put in the order, and then they, you scan your, your QR code. The second one is the pre-order, where you can order on your app and then pick up in the store. Or you can order on the app and eat in the store. And then the last one is uh, that you can get delivered. And basically, we're using Uber Eats in the US to deliver home to you. Further to that, we are now also building on the web page. So you can log into jojuice.com. That will come in the future. Log in with your user and use the same payment card and so on. And actually order by your computer if you want to do that for delivery. So that's how Joe and the Juice is meeting current consumer needs. But what about the future? Thomas saw firsthand how consumer habits changed over the pandemic. And he's prepared for those to transform again as lockdown eases. I think people are, are longing for, you know, being social. So I definitely think people will go back into the stores, in the restaurants, in the public spaces as, as much as they can. So I think, you know, the, what we call ambience, the entertainment, the music, you know, really building on that, super, super important. But we also, I think we cannot miss, is the convenience. People are getting used to getting everything delivered 
You have Amazon driving this. You have the delivery groceries. You have all the third-party deliveries. Everything is so seamless now. You can get everything delivered. So people are, of course, getting used to that. So I don't think that will disappear. And I think people will select when they want to go to a restaurant for entertainment or when they want to eat at home. But I think this middle segment with half bad food that you pick up, I think that will disappear. I think you will be either super convenient at home or you will go to more restaurants and, and having a good time. Unified Commerce offers up some great solutions to allow customers to transact with retailers more easily. But by consolidating payment channels, brands can also take advantage of some other benefits. Kurine Muhlenberg, data expert at Adyen, explains more. What we uh, notice is uh, two things. Customers are no longer attached to one single channel. Maybe for their groceries, they go to that specific store that's really nearby in their neighborhood. But for all other experiences, it doesn't really matter where they are if they want to buy something. So that really means for merchants that they need to provide unified experiences. So it's really about integrating all the data that you have on those channels to provide the same experience to your shoppers wherever they are, whenever they are. And everything for that experience is powered by data. And because we handle all of the transactions on one platform, so it's fairly easy to recognize the same shopper on different touch points, in different regions, on different channels. Whereas traditional retailers have their data locked up in silos because they have this system for point of sale, that system for e-commerce, and it's really hard to basically do cross-channel attribution, for instance. Over the past decade, the sheer amount of consumer data available has boomed. For businesses looking to get better insights into customer habits, it can be difficult to know where to start. To find out more about the types of data available and what businesses should be looking for, we spoke to the head of retail and hospitality solutions at Adyen, Jan Peter Lips. I think most merchants realize that they can't give their customer a better experience unless they really understand their customers. And there's a lot of data around. Google knows what you're searching for. Facebook knows who your friends are. But the most important data is the data of what customers buy, uh, where they buy it, how much they spend. And that's the data that hospitality companies and retailers have. But they can't always combine those different transactions to customers. So if you go into a store and you could go every week or you go to another store quite often, you are anonymous. And if you then go online, the retailer doesn't know you're the same person. And that's where payment data can come in because payment data can provide that link between transactions and customers. The assumption in many of our retailers is that it's the same customers. It's people who would have come to store are now going online. But what we were able to show in many cases is that the growth of e-commerce disproportionately comes from new customers. So the lesson is that in the disruption, people don't necessarily stay with the same brand. They reevaluate their brand loyalty. Now, once you realize that, you then need to look at these disruptions as an opportunity for customer acquisition and making sure that you have a great online experience and that those people who come online, that you put your arms around them, that you make them come back, that you get to know them. And those are really actionable insights that only really payments data can provide. Tracking transaction data offers many benefits to businesses, including customers purchasing trends and preferred commerce channels. And combining transaction data with loyalty programs 
can offer great benefits to the customer too, which in turn can be a key factor in promoting loyalty. When somebody joins a loyalty program, what merchants can do is they can, because they can track those transactions through the payment credentials, they can give people a running start. They can say, you know, the last five transactions or this year's transactions, they all count. And, you know, you don't start with zero. We already give you credit for what you've done before you joined the loyalty program. That's a really nice one. And another really important one is around measurement. If you look at how we measure marketing effectiveness, we tend to create a control cell. So we have a campaign and then some people we don't give the campaign to and we compare the behavior of the campaign group against the control cell. But with loyalty programs, there are no control cells because everybody who's in the program, that's the data you're looking at. Now, payments data can provide that control cell. So you can look at what were people doing before you launched the program and what are they doing after you've launched it. And you can compare the people in the program with people outside of the program. And that measurement is really important because loyalty programs are big financial commitments. Businesses stand to gain a lot from customer data in terms of predicting success of loyalty programs. And we're going to revisit that in our next episode. Kurine says that customer transaction data also plays an important role in personalizing marketing campaigns. There's many different layers of personalization, segmentation a bit. Huh? It's, that is a form of targeting without becoming too personal because you still maintain a fairly large overview of a shopper group. And you can use those insights to actually really fine tune specific campaigns in store. So if we actually by using our data can recognize that a certain store is attracting way less new customers than other stores that they are comparable to, then you might want to say, hey, this store really needs to focus a lot on acquiring new customers. So everything that we do there in store or maybe around the corner should be focused at drawing these new people in. That is something you can fairly easily do without becoming too personal. If you really want to go to the personal level, then always have to take a look at are we going to ask the customer for consent or does this fit with just an update in our terms and conditions but let's say if we asked a customer for consent and we think in a blue sky scenario where we can do everything that we want then it's really interesting to take all of those touch points from all channels to see if there is a natural rhythm for instance uh, for a customer in which he makes a purchase and if we know that rhythm and we know or the merchant really knows what, what products this customer is interested in or they think should be interested in, then you can really come up with a personal cadence of personal campaigns to this specific shopper and make sure that you're relevant for your customer at the time they also think that you should be relevant to them. Showing customers the right marketing material at the right time is an opportunity to get more shoppers into store. However, one of the most powerful ways to secure return visits borrows heavily from the oldest practice in the customer service handbook. Quite simply, know and recognize your customers. Recognizing your shoppers is the most important step here, right? If you don't recognize your shoppers, then well, your insights will not be uh, as valuable as uh, we think they could be. So what we normally do is we work merchants to really determine what data fields can we provide with every transaction to make sure that we can 
find sufficient overlap between payments to make sure that we can link them together. And because we actually have way more data on the e-com environment, it becomes easier to relate point of sale transactions to e-commerce data as well. And what we actually see is if we're able to recognize shoppers over different channels, really see that these shoppers actually provide a lot of value to those merchants. And it's, I think, also for e-commerce departments, really interesting to see if their attribution models can actually also incorporate this point-of-sale data. And I think traditionally, what I noticed in some talks is that there's a split sometimes in the organization between point-of-sale and e-commerce. So you have a specific point-of-sale department and a specific e-commerce department. E-commerce has a lot of data. They actually know how to basically attribute a certain marketing campaign to a sale if it is online. So they could use uh, Salesforce, for instance, for that or so. But out of the box, working with Adyen, you can actually feed in that point of sale data to the e-commerce data as well and get an even better overview of your attribution models. Visibility is crucial and contrary to popular belief, if transaction data is used appropriately, most consumers don't take issue with it. It's annoying when you just get loads of ads sent to you and, and things that you're not interested in. If it's along the same lines, you know, if it's if it's to do with pizzas, I guess that's what we like, then, you know, OK. I think it's part of the world we live in now, where if you buy something, you're going to get adverts and things like that. That's perfectly fine with me. Businesses that employ their transaction data effectively can access a whole range of insights across their sales channels, which will certainly come in handy. Because, as Jan-Peter Lips explains, further transformation is just around the corner. Commerce will get more and more convenient. I'll give two examples of that. One is that commerce used to be structured around practical considerations. So a store is a way to uh, store products, have people come in, make a transaction, and then of course we could buy from home. It became a little, more, a little bit more convenient. And then on the road through an app, but still, as a customer, you have to go somewhere. You have to go to a store, to a website, to an app. In the future, the store will come to us. Whether we are you know, talking to our friends, whether we are watching TV, maybe you're on a Zoom or a chat with a store to get some advice. Maybe you see a product, you take a picture of it. It's going to be much easier to buy and you don't really have to go somewhere. The store comes to you. And the second is that payments will move more and more to the background. How you like to pay becomes part of your customer profile. It's part of how you, who you are or how you log in. So buying becomes as easy as arriving somewhere in an Uber. It becomes completely seamless and, and automatic. And in that combination of payment and, and identity means that merchants will get a much better and completer view of what customers are doing so they can serve customers better. It's clear that businesses that consistently perform the best are those that can combine their physical and digital worlds, creating a fluid, channel-agnostic experience which prioritises the customer. Over the past 18 months, sales channels have been in flux, and unified commerce has proved to be critical for stabilising sales during the pandemic. For many, the past year has acted as a wake-up call. Digital transformation has gone from a nice-to-have to a matter of survival. With necessity sparking innovations, customers are now enjoying more flexibility and convenience than ever before. And as the UK gradually reopens, businesses will be looking to nurture loyalty through the entire customer journey. If you make that easier, so if you make the loyalty an integral part of 
are just making a regular payment, your recognition goes up, your shoppers basically use that loyalty program more. So they're also reaping the benefits of the loyalty program, right? And uh, you've designed that program with a reason because you think that it can improve your KPIs in some sort of way. So the more they use it, the more they can reap the benefits of it, the better it is for you as well because you're maintaining your, lo your loyal shopper base. That's next time on Retail Reawakened. You've been listening to Retail Reawakened. I'm your host, Colin Neal. If you want to find out more about unified commerce, head over to adian.com forward slash UK retail report and download Adian's latest research report. A big thanks to John Wegg, Tony Longhurst, Thomas Evald, Saad Usman, Q. Ryan Muhlenberg and Jan Peter Lips for their contributions today. And join us next time as we explore changes in consumer behaviour and everything you need to know about customer loyalty. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.